They can hear all of us. Oh yeah. I mean, Good, we're just testing volume. Yes, we are testing volume right now. Thank you very much. <laughs>
I can hear you. Yes, the live stream will be open to the public. Thank <laughs> you. 
Uh, yeah, he looks fine. Facebook world and hello Lighthouse Bible Church and it's good to uh, gather virtually with you. This is definitely uh, not a replacement for our gathering on Sundays. It's a cheap replacement but we are looking forward to the time when we can gather again and it's what God has for us at this moment this time so we trust the Lord with that and I think that Actually, um, these restrictions upon us will be a blessing because when we gather back again, we're going to have a great big party. It's going to be a lot of fun. I, I long to see your faces. I long to sing with you again, to pray with you, and to study the word together. And so um, I'm talking to a camera, <laughs> but hopefully you're there and I, uh, you hear my heart behind this. And I think that this time also can be a time for us to uh, long for the gathering of God's people on Sundays, but also long for the gathering of God's people 
in the future, in eternity. And so that, that longing that we have right now to all be together, hopefully we have that longing for eternity, for all of God's saints to be together. I was thinking also, I think this will help us to be able to empathize with those who are homebound in our church, who don't get to gather with God's people. I was thinking also, it would help us empathize with those who are in chains. And right now, there are people who are restricted to and confined because of the gospel, not because of a virus. And, uh, and sometimes we don't think about that. We think about the loneliness of that. And, of course, their suffering's a lot more than ours, but um, it'll help us with that. And, uh, and I think that this also will help us to trust God more. And so I'm praying for you. I know the elders have been calling you, and I've been calling some of you as well, and uh, I know people in the church have been reaching out to each other. That's encouraging to hear, and, uh, and so I appreciate that and uh, looking forward to what God has for us in the future. Honestly, I don't know when the next time we're going to be able to gather is. Um, Lord willing, it's next Sunday, but I doubt that. So, But just keep, um, if you are, you should be getting our emails, our text messages. If not, please let us know so we can get that to you. And uh, now we have a, a room, not full of people, but some people are in the room here. And uh, basically what we decided to obey the mandate of the governor is that we're um, not going to have anyone from our church come to the church uh, property here except for those who live on the church property. So we all live together here and we're all sharing each other's germs. Of course, we have um, those guys who are studying for ministry. We have a unique discipleship opportunity here where we're, we are able to mentor men that are in seminary and college going into ministry. So those guys are here with us and, uh, and also... Um, the bosses who are married and uh, and then also we have my family which is basically almost breaks the 10 and under amount and then we also have the Frasers with us and of course our our church family know them well they were with us back in February and uh, and they are kind of in the same situation a lot of ministries are and that is they um, had to have some of their or get some of their churches canceled and so they are in limbo right now as far as um, being able to gather with God's people Jeremy is an evangelist. He um, has a great gift to be able to um, equip and encourage and present the gospel um, to churches. And he helps churches a lot like ours, right? We are a church of, what, about 120, 150 between that. And, uh, and these, our churches really appreciate the encouragement. But they're in our parking lot right now, and they weren't planning to be here, uh, you know, for as long as they are. But this is what it is. And so they're... We're trying to be a blessing to them, but actually they're a huge blessing to us because we're not able to have our regular worship team gather today. Um, Josh, um, who leads that, um, of course, not living on the property. So they're going to help us with this. So we're going to have a fun time with them helping us with the music this morning and worshiping together. And I'm going to ask Jeremy when uh, at some point here to maybe give an update about his ministry, how we can pray for them. And uh, of course, none of us knows the future of what's going to happen here, but... Um, but how we can minister to them and, and pray for them as well. So let me do this. Let me start with a word of prayer and, uh, and ask God to bless our time here together. Let's pray. Father, we, we miss, we long for the gathering of your people. And as Lighthouse and I guess probably some other people are gathered with us right now in the spirit of Christ, we ask that you'll bless this time. I think about those who have been locked up by themselves all week are very lonely. I pray the word of grace will minister to their hearts. And I pray these songs will be songs that will minister and we'll be able to 
virtually uh, teach one another through songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And then God give us the, the greater longing for gathering on Sundays with the people of God and then gathering with your saints. I think about missionaries, our missionaries right now, who are actually facing unique struggles as well. And I think about those who are in chains, those who are, um, who are in prison because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God, right now we are able to, to get a, a taste of what that's like. So may that just make our hearts tender and, um, and pray for them in their time of need. And so God, may your grace be upon us during this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'd like to begin singing with you today. We hope that you'll join all in it. singing. It's kind of congregational. And uh, the first song we'd like to sing is, is a great song entitled In Christ Alone. Christ, 
and that blessing of the church that we see. It's Ephesians chapter 3, and I'll start in verse 14. Paul is the writer, he's actually praying for the, the believers, and he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What a passage of scripture for us at this time. We'd like to sing another song for you. Have you sing along with us? And the next song is a song entitled, All I Have is Christ. We hope this will be an encouragement to you as you sing along with us. All I have is Christ.
asked me to give a little bit of a ministry update, so I want to kind of step up here and give a little bit of a ministry update. And uh, I want to also share a verse of scripture at the end of this update for you. You know, for us, it's been an interesting time. We we actually had been working our way out, ministry out uh, to this area, and then um, ended up having a, an evangelistic outreach, a special Sunday here at your church. Uh, and then many of you knew we were fluing, flying <laughs> to the Big Island, and as we were flying to the Big Island of Hawaii, uh, we were going to be spending about two and a half weeks there, different Sundays that we were going to be ministering with churches and some weekly uh, some Christian schools. Actually, we were in four or five different ministries within those weeks. It was really interesting how God just worked it all out. And actually, during that same time, too, many of these small, small churches and one of the mother churches basically helped support us through that um, time. And uh, we were able to minister in multiple church plants there. Uh, one of the one of the places is we ministered in a Christian, a Christian school that has really an open enrollment. Uh, the Lord really blessed. We, we, we had some chapels there. Uh, where after the chapels, many different kids want to talk to us about the gospel. And uh, not just elementary age or upper elementary, but even middle school and high schoolers at different times too. The Lord just gave us different opportunities of outreach. And even during that time being there, honestly, we saw maybe about 16 people come to Christ. And uh, that's a huge blessing. And uh, many of the churches, so one of the pastors told me, hey, Jeremy, just so you know, I mean, it, we might only have three people show up uh, for the evening. For you guys to do a concert even and so there's a lot of smaller ministries we're thankful for what god did and god's supply and then we got back and actually that was going to hit our spring break so we've kind of been on spring break for the last week and a half you could say uh, which was a big change to us none of us were expecting uh, to be here still uh, actually today our team was supposed to be together we're supposed to be in a church in pomona uh, for the week doing nightly services and uh and then we were moving from there to church plant in st george utah uh, the following Sunday, um, and then to be working our way different places throughout the, you could say the the, the west and, and midwest, and working our way back really to east, um, and all this is week to week for us. And as we as we travel, it's interesting because we we actually travel, and the way we're the way we actually function is through the love gifts of God's people during the week. So without weeks, we don't get paid. If that makes sense. Um, so it does shift everything. Now the truth is, is the team members who when we came back was kind of amazing is that many of them were um, not, there's a couple of them were not even planning on going home because uh, the ticket prices were too high. But obviously with everything kind of happening so quick, the ticket prices dropped, they were able to go home. Uh, we were all expecting to be back on Friday and then start to travel again. Uh, but the Lord has other plans and that's okay. God's plans are best. I mean, I look at this and go, this is actually an interesting time for all these kind of ministries. And um, so we're just kind of on hold. We're kind of in a holding spot, kind of wondering what God's going to do. Uh, that doesn't mean you don't do anything, though. And uh, during that time, I feel like there's so much more to, to do, even with family and uh, obviously with personal study and the things that you need to get done around the house or for some of you, maybe like us, around the trailer. And so uh, <laughs> the truth is, is that you just continue on. Um, I would ask if you would pray for us that God would continue to, to open up the right doors at the right time. When I think about this, this could be hitting uh, Christian camps in the summer. We transition in, the, in, um, in about eight weeks. We naturally go to more of a camping style of ministry. And I think about that. Think about all the different camps that could be closed down or maybe not. Maybe by this stuff kind of works its way through, actually the camps could be full. I mean, parents are going to be excited to push their kids to camp. So we're looking forward to this. We're just praying uh, that God would use us in a, in a great, great way. 
um, throughout our world. And as, even as we plan for the fall and the spring and we continue on for the next couple of years, I mean, the Lord knows and uh, has all this in plan. When I think through this, though, my mind raced to this whole idea of a plague around our world. It's interesting how, how God can, can get a hold of everyone's attention really easy. And uh, even through the, the problem of sin comes sickness and pain and plague and death. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll see more of this actually as it culminates towards the end of all things, the culmination where Christ is going to come back. Actually, the, the writer, the prophet Habakkuk, to me, this is a, a powerful passage because he's struggling. Uh, he, he's living during the time of, of Daniel, and he's actually struggling really bad because because God's going to use a more wicked nation to come and judge Israel. Israel is doing wrong and is not walking with the Lord. And so there's judgment upon Israel. He knows this as the prophet. And so sure enough, as he sees all this, he's, he's praying and he's struggling through this. I mean, how can God do this? A more wicked nation even punish them. But a lot of bad things are going to happen. And he knows this. He knows plagues are going to happen. He actually foresees even the day of the Lord coming and uh, where God comes in his wrath to destroy the wicked, but yet rescue the righteous. And in the midst of all of this, he actually has a prayer. He has something he finishes off in the end of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, he says this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, and the flocks be cut off, from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, things will be so bad that they'll have almost like no food, no produce, no nothing. And yet in the end of this, here's what he says in verse 18. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Um, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deers and makes me tread upon my high places. It's just an amazing thing. The truth is, is, man, I don't have to sit and mope around. The reality is, is God has saved me. Uh, he has he sanctified me through this. He will one day bring me safely home and glorify me. I mean, everything for this. This is just a, a, a walk in the park. This is, this is nothing in a sense towards eternity. We're but a vapor. Life is just but a vapor. And so the truth is we live fully for the glory of God and we take joy in our salvation. So in the midst of trials where you see people moping around, not knowing what to do and what happens, we'll make it this opportunity to share the gospel, the good news of of Christ, uh, the hope of glory. And the hope is that earnest expectation of glory. So this is just a great, great reminder to us as God has, has stalled everything to focus now on him in a better way, put our hearts and our minds on him. And uh, if you could pray for us, pray that God would just continue to do that, to stir us. Actually, for many preachers, this could be a great uh, refreshment time for even deeper study in the word personal for those around. Um, if you're a believer, dig in the scriptures. Why not? Turn off the internet some and, and, and spend time with God, spend time with your family. So this is a great reminder to us. We're going to continue on in worship, though. I appreciate your prayers for our ministry. Uh, we may be seeing you again next week. Who knows? We may, uh, we may be somewhere else in this country, but we just pray that uh, God will lead and guide us that way. All right. At this point, uh, we'd like to go to the song, The Lord is My Salvation.
The next song is a song I think you know very, very well. It's an old hymn entitled, Be Thou My Vision. As we sing this one, we're going to sing the first, the second, and the fifth verse. We've got the words for you. So again, sing along with us. Hopefully that is the truth of your heart, that God and the Lord himself is your vision. And uh, he is the one you're looking to uh, at this time in your life. Let's sing, Be Thou My Vision. September 11th, um, when I was in college, we went down to Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, we would talk to people about Christ, and, and I can remember people um, wondering what was the future of our country, what was going to happen, and people wonder that today. Sometimes you get people, during times of crisis, they get on TV, and they declare, you know, God is bringing judgment upon this country because of this particular sin. I think you got to be careful about doing that. Um, you got to be careful about doing that. 
and not being dogmatic about God's judgment like that. I think generally there is, our, our world is cursed by sin, and so there's this general pain and suffering caused by the curse of sin. Some people think, well, this is chaos. Nobody really knows what's going on. But that's not true, right? The Bible says that God knows. He has a plan, and he's actually doing this on purpose to fulfill his plan for our good and for his glory. And so, so what is God doing in this world? What's his work? And would it surprise you if I were to tell you that the work of God that he's doing in our world is one of compassion? It's one of compassion. Our text today, we're going to see that God's work is one of compassion or love to sinners. God is patiently working, calling people to come to him. So we're in Mark 14. This is actually going to end um, our preaching through this uh, text of Mark 14. We're ending our series on the qualities of a spirit-controlled person. And if you remember, we started a couple weeks ago with Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane with his 11 disciples. And we studied how Jesus exhibited the qualities of a spirit-controlled person. He, He was filled by the spirit, controlled by the spirit. And it was in contrast to all the other disciples and all the, all the disciples and all the other people that were around him who were being carried away by their own lust, their own desires. And really what we see in this passage here is we see an intense spiritual war taking place. Satan is at work. Hell has descended upon Jerusalem. Satan and his demons are tempting all those around Christ and Christ himself. And these 11 disciples, and particularly Peter as the leader, is following their own passions, are following their own passions. Peter wrote about this later, warning the church. He says in 1 Peter 2.11, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, so don't live like everyone else around you. He said, abstain from the passions of the flesh, flesh which war against your soul. So what's happening here in this text is there is this intense spiritual war taking place. Heaven versus hell. It's the almighty God versus the adversary, Satan. And we can see Jesus wraps up that war in verse 38. Look at Mark 14, 38. Jesus says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So all these individuals around Christ are are facing temptation, and Christ is as well. But here he is as the person who, as the man, God-man, who is filled with the Holy Spirit and, and wants to do his Father's will, and he's living in submission to his Father. And he goes forward into the suffering by faith. In fact, if you look in, in verse 39, you see Jesus there crying out. He's like literally laying down, crying to his father in prayer. And then you see him in verse 40, standing up and courageously walking into this appointed suffering under the will of his father. And what you see here is Jesus trusting his father. Look in verse 36. He prays, not my will, but yours be done. So here's Jesus submitting to the Father's will. He's really literally placing his faith in his Father. Now we don't, I said this last week, we don't typically 
think of Jesus as having faith, but remember we said faith is knowing that something is true, and it's submitting your heart and your life to that truth. This past week, I had someone come on the property, and uh, he had some questions he wanted to ask. And so I talked to him about the Lord, and one of the things he said when he first came up was, he said, you know, can we go into my office? And I said, well, I'm doing the six-foot distance here, you know? And he said, oh, no, 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 I have faith. I have faith. I have faith in the Lord, so I don't, that's not a problem for me. And I was like, well, my faith is based upon fact. <laughs> and my, the facts are that the medical community is telling us there's a virus, and we need to stay six feet apart, and... So just in, uh, in deference to that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for that. And so then we had a good conversation after that. But, you know, sometimes people have this idea, idea that faith is whatever you want to believe. You know, if you believe it, then therefore it must be true. Kind of the idea this guy was presenting there. But, but there's, a, there's a sense is that we're not gathering because we have faith. Faith in the medical community, if you want to say it that way. For now, faith in our government, right? So we have faith that they're telling us the truth. And, and so, therefore, we're submitting ourselves to that and not gathering for now, even though our hearts really long to gather. And so what we see here with Jesus is that he has faith in his Father. He knows his Father is sovereign. He knows his Father will be victorious, and therefore he submits his heart to that. In fact, if you look in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, I'll just read it aloud. Peter actually speaks of Jesus having faith. It says, when he or when they hurled their insults at him, that's at Jesus, Jesus did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted, or he had faith to him who judges justly. That's in his Father. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Therefore, whoever suffers according to the will of God. So there's, there's the sovereignty of God. It's, I, I'm going to entrust myself to God's will. He said, And he, he says in 1 Peter 4.19, and trust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. So, so actually, God calls us to have faith in the Lord. And, and how is it possible to do good in the midst of suffering? Well, you have faith that your Father in heaven is at work. And what we're going to look at today particularly is that we're going to see that our Father is working in this world compassionately. He's working compassionately to, to call sinners to himself. In fact, the basis for our compassion as Christians to those who are suffering is that God has actually showed love to us. I saw this in a book called The Rise of Christianity. Actually, I saw an article and, and then I uh, looked it up. But in, in uh, 170 AD, the Roman world was at peace. In fact, in fact, they call it the they call it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And so all seemed well until a plague came upon them. It was smallpox, and at that time, do you realize a third of the population of Rome was wiped out by this plague? People would run from their the cities. They would go out from the places where people were, so they were self isolating. <laughs> quarantining themselves. They were, they were running away. And they were leaving behind the, the sick to die, the elderly to suffer, and the poor to starve. So this is what was happening. You can imagine that scene in a, in a world like that. Except for the Christians. The Christians stayed. The Christians 
nursed people to health. They, they helped the elderly. They were there when people were dying. Why did they do that? They risked their lives. Why did they do that? They wanted to show the same love that God had showed them. So in the midst of suffering, we can do good because we have faith that God has actually worked in our life by his love, and we therefore want to show love towards other people. Our text is down in Mark chapter 14, and it's in verse, verse 66 through 72. So I'm going to read this text for us today, and then we'll start with a word of prayer. So if you have your Bibles, look down in Mark 14, 66. The Bible says, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them. You are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse upon himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, we ask for the blessing your blessing upon your word. This is a little weird to, to preach to a camera and to a small group like this, but I pray that your word will have power even through the internet, and I pray you'll use this in a powerful way in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus faced the most intense suffering that can ever be conceived. The pain he faced that night and then the next day was not just physical, it was, it was spiritual. He, he faced hell for each person when he was beaten and mocked and spit on and pierced and crucified. And yet, before that and in the midst of that, Jesus, in his suffering, he showed compassion. And today we're going to particularly see that he showed compassion to Peter. He operated with this faith that his father was at work. He was at work in different people's lives, but particularly he was at work in Peter's life. God the Father loved Peter, and so therefore Jesus operated with compassion and love towards Peter. In fact, you see this compassion that Jesus has throughout his suffering throughout this night as Jesus heals a man whose ear is cut off, as Jesus is on the cr cross and he prays for those who are, who are mocking him. As Jesus talks to a man next to him on the cross and really gives him the gospel and, and promises this man eternal life. And as he cares for his mother. So you see this heart of Jesus just to, to love people, to have compassion to pe for people. And, and again, where does this come from? Well, why is he even on that earth? Why, why did he even come to that place to suffer. We don't know the verse, right? John 3, 16. You just want to say it with me so we can have some audience participation here? Yeah. Let's do it. John 3, 16. Ready? For God so loved the world 
They have financial stress. They've lost their job. They're worried about keeping their current job. They lost their income. They got stress from being overcrowded. Everyone's cooped up. They feel like they can't get away from each other. And these stressors can lead to abuse. So, so you got this, this, this suffering, this difficulty people have, and it leads them to do what? To carry out whatever their sinful heart wants to do. And what's going on in these homes? What's going on in, in this, this article right here? Satan uses events like this to destroy people. That, that's what he wants to do. I think of even us. Maybe you're at home, and maybe this is a time that Satan is actually using this to destroy your life. Maybe you're alone by yourself on the computer somewhere. Maybe you are having more contact with people you haven't before, so you're fighting a lot more with them. And these changing circumstances can sometimes cause you to, to carry out your own sinful desires and hurt people and hurt yourself and really fulfill the work of Satan, which is to devour you. But God offers grace. God offers grace. In fact, that's what he's doing here for, for Peter. He's, Jesus is interceding for him, and he's, he intercedes for us. He's right now at the Father's right hand, and he's interceding for us. Jesus prays for you. And God actually wants to take this difficulty. He actually wants to enable you to find joy in him. He wants to give you strength. He wants to give you grace. He wants to, the power of the Spirit to fill you and use your life to actually minister grace and love to other people. God actually wants to take this and use it in an amazing way. Satan wants to take it and destroy your life. So here Jesus is presenting to Peter, listen, this is what is taking place. So what did Jesus pray for? Look at verse 32. I pray for you that your faith may not fail. But when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Listen, Jesus was so confident in his father's love for Peter that he said, you're going to fail, and then I'm praying for you that your faith will come back, and I'm confident that you will, in the end, strengthen your brothers. God had begun a good work in Peter. As the Bible says in Philippians 1.6, I am sure that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. So Jesus had this just, just faith that his father's work in Peter would not fail. So go back to Mark chapter 14, and let's just look at the text that we're going through. Mark 14, Jesus is in his darkest hour. In the midst of this dark hour, he demonstrates compassion. I'm just, I'm just going to detail some of this. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, you're going to fall away. And in verse 28, Jesus says, But after I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. So here's a promise of Jesus. You're going to fail. Peter, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to have mercy upon you. I'm going to extend love to you. But Peter is still blinded by his, his self-dependence, his pride. Peter has this intense love for himself. And so look at verse 29. Peter said to him, even though they all fail, fall away, I will not. Jesus says, no, you're going to fall away, and then predicts he'll deny him three times. Verse 31, Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. But Peter, 
But Jesus did not give up on Peter. They went to the garden to pray. Skip down to verse 33. Here Jesus takes Peter with him. Peter, James, and John, these three. And, and the Bible says that Jesus was in great distress. So here he invites Peter to pray with him. It's the special interest he takes in Peter and those other two men. And then look at verse 37. He came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so he addresses Peter, Simon, okay, one who depends on your own flesh, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? And I think maybe I'm a little intense right now. Maybe he said it a little more compassionately than that, you know? Maybe it was more like, Simon, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Pray, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So, so Peter, Jesus, compassion, doesn't stop here. Honestly, at this point, I might just be like, okay, Peter, I think I'm done. Like, I've, you've messed up a lot. You, you're, you're still going your own stubborn way. I'm just gonna give up on you. But after they pray, a small army comes and Judas leads this army, betrays him. Verse 46 says, and they laid hands on him, Jesus, seized him. And then verse 47, but one, remember that's Peter, one of those who stood by, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Peter just can't seem to help, help himself, can he? Again, operating outside the will of God, again, acting rashly and fleshly. Remember the other gospels tell us that Jesus rebuked Peter and then he picked up the ear and put it back on that servant. Think about the love of Jesus to stop Peter and prevent Peter from, from facing serious consequences. I mean, if Jesus had not stopped Peter and if he had not healed that man's ear, Peter could have been charged with attempted murder. I mean, think about, that would have ruined Peter's life. It would have ruined his ministry, obviously, in the future. But Jesus actually demonstrates this love to prevent Peter from doing something far worse and actually to even solve one of the problems he had right there. I think the thing sometimes we don't recognize in this world that God actually does that on a constant basis. God is, is always in our life, in some sense, extending mercy to us. He doesn't give us what we deserve. I can remember one time I was in college, and there was a guy that was in my dorm, and he um, was late for something, and it was, not, it was against the rules to be late for this. And so I, um, I decided to play a little joke on him. So I wrote up a little card as if I was from the dean of students. And, uh, and I put it on his door and thought, this is going to be funny. Like, he's going to see this. He's going to freak out. You know, so that's really great. And, uh, well, I forgot about it. So I come later on and I find out this guy's going through the whole dorm and he's freaking out. And he's about to go talk to the dean of students. And he's freaking out because he thought he's in trouble. And, and I found him and I said, oh, no, 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 listen, I actually did that, you know. So, <laughs> so it stopped. But I thought after that, I thought, what would have happened if you would have gone to the Dean of Students? Like, I was impersonating the Dean of Students. And I realized that, you know what, there's a sense where, even in that, like, God withheld something that probably I deserve. And, uh, and, and God's common grace, his common mercy upon us. And the truth is, God demonstrates mercy like this to us every day. Each of us deserves, at the moment of every sinful thought, at the moment of every sinful action, we deserve to be separated from him for eternity. In fact, God spoke to, to Israel and through Moses, and he said in Exodus 33, after they made this idol, 
a, a golden calf and pretended or acted like it was God and worshiped that idol, he says, you are a stiff-necked people. And if for one single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So in Exodus 33, 5, what, what God was saying is, he's saying, if I were actually to give you what you deserve, you would be dead right now, separated from me forever. But actually, God says something interesting in the next chapter, in verse 34, verse 6 in Exodus. He says, I'm actually the Lord a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So for Israel and for Peter and for you and for, for myself, God's work towards us is one of mercy. And so I don't know about anybody in this room here, but if you're out there and you're without Christ, God right now is withholding his wrath from you for your sin. And why is that? Because he has compassion on you. He wants you to repent and believe in his son for forgiveness of sins. And if, you're, if you are believing in Christ, if, if Jesus is, is your Lord and he's your Savior, then you can continue to trust that God's wrath will not come upon you. You will not receive what you deserve. Romans 8.1, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So Jesus showed this compassion right here to Peter. What, what compassion to have patience and long-suffering, desire that Peter, trust me right now, trust me. Of course, Peter doesn't. In verse 53, we see that Jesus was taken away to the high priest's home. So let's get down to Mark 14.53. And they led Peter to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance. So here's Peter keeping his distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Interesting, he was looking like them. He's blending in, but also in his heart, he was just like them. This trial was at the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. The homes in their time would have walls around them with a courtyard in the middle, and there'd be a gate that you would enter into. And then when you were in the courtyard around there would be rooms and with doors, and that's where people would live. And so you had multiple, multiple families living in one house, if you want to say. So this was Caiaphas's house, the high priest, a very wealthy person. So you can imagine a, probably a large courtyard, a lot of places for dwellings for people to be able to live in. And so Mark 14, 54, you can see that uh, we have a little picture here of this courtyard scene. This is the middle of the night. The Sanhedrin were illegally meeting. They were trumping up charges against Jesus, and eventually they came with the charge of blasphemy because he claimed to be equal with God and claimed to be the Messiah. In the midst of this, Peter was afraid. He's in the middle of this courtyard. Surrounding him were, were servants and guards of the high priest, and it was a cold night, so he was over this fire warming himself. And evidently, Peter was in some kind of position where he could actually see Jesus. He could actually hear people mocking him. He could see, uh, he could witness the, the blows that Jesus took and the blood coming down his face. He could see the saliva that smacked into the face of his Lord. So you can imagine the scene in the middle of the night of Jesus up there being tortured. Peter down there trying to blend in and look down in verse 66. Finally, we're coming to our text. <laughs> but don't worry, we're almost through it. 
and Peter was below in the courtyard. One of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. So Peter was afraid, and he wanted to protect himself and his life, but he was spotted by all things a little girl. Now, if you're a parent, you know this voice right here, right? This is the voice when you take your child to a public restroom, and you want them to be quiet, and you say, just look at the floor, and just we're just going to go to the bathroom, and they walk by the stall, you know, and they say, what's that smell? Right? You guys know what I'm talking about? You, I know you kids do, because when you were younger, trying to be quiet when you're in the bathroom. And, and, you're, and you're like, shh, don't say anything. And what's that person doing? Can you, here's a little girl, here's a young lady, a young girl that just, just says whatever, you know, there's a guy, you're with him, and it's like, can you be quiet, please? Now here, Peter, I mean, think about Peter, he's just trying to blend in. I just want to listen. And this girl is annoying me here. And so, verse 70, he denies the Lord. But again, he denied it. This word for deny here is an imperfect tense, which indicates Peter had this extensive denial. I mean, this was Peter's anger boiling over. And then things were dramatically changing because no longer was it just this little girl, but now she was gathering a crowd around her. And so look at verse 70. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse upon himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Notice he can't even say Jesus' name. Peter swore to prove he was not associated with Jesus. And then he called a curse down upon himself from God to prove he was not lying. And again, you see the mercy of God. Here's Peter saying, I'll be damned if this, if that, if I know that guy. And you know what he deserved at that moment? He deserved to be damned for his sin, didn't he? And God's mercy was so great towards him, he didn't give him what he actually asked for at that moment. He was lying. However, Peter, however, God was kind. Look at verse 72. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And then Peter remembered. How Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Luke twenty-two sixty-one says the, the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and then Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. Imagine that scene. Imagine the darkness. Imagine Peter as he's backing out towards the door. The scriptures talk about how he, he went to the gateway. In other words, he was trying to back out. He's trying to get into a safe place and how he swore and cursed. Then, then the rooster crows a second time and Peter freezes and he looks at Jesus. And Jesus, as he has sweat and blood dripping down from him, he looks back at Peter. What kind of look was that, do you think? I don't think this was a look of condemnation. I think this was a look of love. While Peter was sinning, and calling for God to curse and damn him if he's telling a lie. Here, Jesus is actually dying for his lies. Here, Jesus is actually bringing on the damnation of God upon himself for sin. That, what, that's providential irony right there. Isn't that amazing to think about? But here's Jesus. I believe he's looking at, at Peter with compassion. 
And how do, why do I think that? Well, I think that Jesus' heart was filled with, with love. His heart was filled with love for sinners. I mean, he wouldn't be in that situation if he didn't love sinners, right? And so Jesus' greatest work for Peter at that moment was, was the love of propitiating for his sin. Jesus was accepting the wrath of God. Listen, he was accepting the wrath of God so he could forgive Peter when Peter turned back to him in faith. So look first in verse 72. Peter saw the look of Jesus. He remembered how Jesus said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And then look what he does. Peter feels guilty and he breaks. He broke down and he wept. Where did Peter go? We don't know. We don't know where he went. But Peter was clearly a broken man. And you know what? It's exactly where Jesus wanted him. It's right where God wanted him. Here, here's J Peter, a Jewish man. I, I wonder, we don't know if this happened, but I wonder if, if, if Peter thought back to Psalm 51, David, the king, who sinned against the Lord. Psalm 51.1. I can imagine Peter running away and going down. And what do you think if you're a Jewish person and you're going to pray and you feel really bad about your sin, you're going to pray Psalm 51.1. Have compassion on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant compassion, God, I need your compassion. And you know what? It was there for him, wasn't it? It was there for him. God wants to show his love. And the rest of that verse says, blot out my transgressions. Forgiveness comes from the love of God. And this is, this is a prayer here of David. It's a prayer of repentance and faith. It's a prayer of repentance and faith. It's a prayer of repentance, which what we see here from, from Peter, it's, it's brokenness about my sin. It's a prayer that cries out because I deserve hell. It's a prayer that, that recognizes, God, I've sinned against you. I deserve at this instant to be separated from you. It's a prayer of repentance that recognizes I've been going my own way. It, it's Peter here, right? It's Peter that says, I can do it, Lord. I'm fine on my own. I don't need you. Like, I'll, I'll never deny you. I could live my life without you. And then you go, I can't live my life without you. I can't, I can't have eternal life on my own. I can't be good enough. I had another person come by this week, talk to me. Um, we talked about the Lord. And at one point in the conversation, I asked this gentleman, I said, if you were to die tonight and stand before God, um, why, do you, why, would he, why should he let you into heaven? And this guy said, well, I, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm out here trying to help people. And so we went to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where it says it's only by God's grace. It's God's, God's kind work, his mercy in your life, that you're saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not of your own works. You see, nobody is ever going to stand before God and say, I'm going to come into heaven because I've done all these things, Lord. In fact, those are the people that he's going to reject. The only people that come are people who first turn in repentance and say, it's not my doing, it's not my way, I actually deserve hell. And also, a person who approaches the Lord in faith. But for, first notice Peter here. This is him repenting of his pride-filled, self-sufficient approach to life. But then Peter turns in faith. Remember what Jesus prayed for? What did he pray for Peter? That your faith would not fail. And so Peter 
again, he had faith in the Lord. Remember, faith is knowing what is true and then submitting your heart and your life to that. And after the resurrection, Peter saw Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 21, you don't have to turn there, but John chapter 21, we, we see this story, this picture of Jesus and Peter. And here, Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee, actually the same place where he called Peter to follow him. He's by the Sea of Galilee. He does some amazing things by miraculously allowing fish to come into his net and then pulling that, Peter pulled that ashore. ashore. And then Jesus is on this, this shore here. He invited Peter and the disciples to breakfast. Remember, Peter denied the Lord three times. And three in the scriptures signifies completeness. And so here he, in that, gar in that uh, courtyard, completely denied the Lord. That night in the courtyard, he was, it made it, it was abundantly clear that he was hopeless on his own. And by the sea, Jesus made it another charcoal fire. And that fire would have brought back the memories of those three denials, but also the memory of his loving sacrifice for him. And three times, Peter denied him. And at that time, by that sea, Jesus gave him three opportunities to confess his love for him. What did, what did Peter know to be true at that moment? God loved him. Jesus died for him. Jesus had defeated sin and death through his suffering and on that cross. And Jesus wanted to restore him. So Jesus' call to Peter here is to submit your life to me, Peter. Submit your heart and your life to me. And he says, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me more than these? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And so three times he gives him an opportunity to confess his love. And then it's interesting, at the end of, of John 21, Jesus says these last two words to Peter. He says, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. How simple is that? He's saying, just trust me, Peter. Follow me. That, that's the same Words that he used when he first saw Peter and said, Peter, follow me. And now he wraps up and he says, Peter, simply follow me. And Jesus, from the beginning of his ministry, pursued Peter in love. Even when Peter was in the midst of, before and in the midst of denying him, he showed compassion and love. And then after Peter's failure, he came to restore him in love. And Jesus pursued Peter in love because he had this faith, his belief that his father was at work in Peter. And so his, his, his trust with his father was compassionately working. And the work that God is doing in our world today is a work of love. It's a work of love. And friend, if you're in here listening to me, or anyone sitting in this room here, if you're listening to me, and you are not a believer in Christ, I want you to know that God loves you. Jesus died for your sin because he loves you. And God invites you to find forgiveness in Christ because he loves you. And the events that are happening in your life, maybe the fact that you're listening to this, is, is God's call to you to come and find forgiveness in him to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's 
patiently waiting. The fact that you are still breathing and living and not experiencing the wrath of God is God's mercy upon you. And so come to the Lord. And there will be a day when that compassion and that patience and that mercy will, will run out. God will come back and he will actually pour out his wrath upon those who have rejected him. And Christian, I want to encourage you. God loves you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are eternally secure in the love of God. His work towards you is one of love. Ephesians 1.5, in love he predestined you for adoption. You're his child because he loves you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. No virus, no death, no loneliness, no failure like Peter. So, so when we fail the Lord, know that God offers forgiveness and restoration. And God has showed you his love, and therefore we should show that same love to other people. We should be so secure in the love of God that we go out and we share the love of God with other people. God's work of love should compel us to love other people. And one of the things that I'm so encouraged about in our church, even though I can't talk to you directly face to face, I hear about people that are reaching out to one another and extending love to one another. I think about our food share program and how some of those people are still doing that. Some of them actually, um, you know, you don't know who's going to come by here. And they're still extending love to them. And just hearing all these different stories from our church, I'm, I'm so thankful for that. May, may, the, may the, the problems in our country and this virus and all that goes with it, may not cause us to shrink in fear, be controlled by fear. But may we be controlled by the love of Christ. May the love of Christ compel us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all are dead, and he died for all. That those who live should not live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And so let's live for Jesus Christ. Let's trust that God is compassionately at work calling people to himself and use this event, the events of our life, to do the work of compassion and love in the lives of other people. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful. We're so thankful for the love that you have demonstrated towards us. The work that Christ did for us on the cross, it is done, it is finished, it is complete. It was a work of love. And, and sometimes, God, we can say that word love just so flippantly and forget the actual meaning. It's just that you actually sacrificed, Jesus, your own life for us. You actually took upon yourself the damnation, the hell that we deserve. That should blow our minds because we don't deserve that from you. We don't deserve that love from you. But you have loved us. Thank you for that. I pray for anyone out here that's without Christ. I pray for anyone in this room that's our family that was without Christ. God, our, our desire, most our passion is for them to know Christ. So I pray they will see that they need to turn to Jesus Christ. You are a father with open arms saying, repent and believe in my son Jesus. And I pray for our people in our church. I pray they will, they will know the love of Christ that is in Christ Jesus, the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. I pray they'll be convinced that nothing can separate them from your love. 
May they go to passages like Romans chapter 8 and just hold on to that truth that God, you are God who loves them. You will never let go. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to sing two more songs. And, you know, every time I um, get done with the message, I always forget the songs, even though I see them at the very beginning. So what's this? What song are we singing? My Jesus, I love Ah, my Jesus, I love thee. So let's sing this together. As we think about this next song, it's called My Jesus, I Love Thee. In one sense, I feel like it's kind of a hard one to sing. Uh, because we think about Peter, he said, yeah, I, no, I love you, I'll never forsake you. And yet he did. Uh, I think that happens to us all the time in many, many ways. We say we love the Lord and then we, we sin in our personal lives. But aren't you thankful that, that um, it's not conditioned on how we perform? It's on what Christ has done for us. And yet when a person really repents and he says, I don't want my sin, I want Christ. I want to be rescued. I want to turn to him. I want to trust you. The truth is the scripture tells you whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. So if you're here and you've never done that, you've never res responded repentance and faith in Christ, then do that. Turn to him now in, our heart, in your heart to the Lord and cry out to him. He'll save you. Actually, the love of God will then be shed abroad in your heart. Because you have Christ within you. When we think about this, it's not about us, but we want to pray this as we sing this prayer, the song by Jesus, I Love Thee.
and saying that I'm, I'm coming to you and I'm confessing to you uh, that I, I, I can't do this apart from myself. I, I need you. Uh, that's one of the greatest blessings is when we come to an end of ourself and then we start relying upon the Lord. Actually, this is what a, a good thing about our culture right now. There's a point where you, 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 you get to a point where, okay, what am I going to do? I, oh, I just need him. I just need him. And so I hope this will be a great prayer of your heart to the Lord. Lord, I need you.